Hello. Hello and welcome to Hashavua, a podcast in Hebrew about startups, but today it's not in Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> it's in English. And uh, it's in English because today we're hosting Justin Kahn. What's up, man? How's it going? Thanks for having me here. Uh, what's up, David? I'm great. I'm, I'm happy we're doing this show. I'm happy we're doing a show in English. I'm happy we're talking to Justin. So today we're going to talk about selling your company. And I just want to introduce you um, to our listeners. So Justin Kahn, you founded Justin TV uh, that later pivoted to Twitch, uh, which was recently acquired by... Amazon? That's right, last year. And uh, you also founded Exec, and you're also a Y Combinator um, partner. partner. That's right. Yeah, well, I work full-time at Y Combinator now, funding stump- companies, startup companies. How, how do, when you're a partner at Y Combinator, does that mean, like, do you choose uh, startups to invest in uh, that you sort of invest in directly? Well, so the fund invests in all the different startups. We found about 100 startups okay. every six months. Uh, many of them are Israeli startups um, and uh, we have div- you know, YC is divided into different groups um, so that we can scale it shards shards PG, exactly yeah. we're sharded and uh, right now Jeff Ralston and I run one of the and Jeff uh, myself and Jessica actually run one of the groups and uh, group Our group is called Group 3, or okay. Pioneer, <laughs> Pioneer Group. We've worked with about a quarter of the companies, uh, and those are the companies that we've interviewed, and then you know, we've choose to fund, and then we work with them through, throughout the process of YC. So every group sort of picks its own uh, startups? That's right, but the, um, you know, the startups can get advice from any of the partners in, you know, in YC. It's just that you know, I'm kind of primarily responsible for my group's questions about funding and you know, how to approach their startup and kind of... do operations and scale their startup as they go on and nice. checking in with them. Okay, great. So we're, what we're going to be talking about this week is uh, how to sell your company or, or basically not, not necessarily how to sell company, your company, but just we're going to be talking around this topic of selling your company. Uh, in fact, when we just started talking, you mentioned that a lot of companies uh, actually think too much about selling their company, which I think we agree with. Um, but, but that's uh, this week's topics. So may, maybe we can jump right into that. Do companies sort of worry too much about selling their company? Well, I, I think that the idea of selling your company is a really popular and sexy topic to talk about when you're working on your company. Uh, but the process of you know, entering it and trying to sell your company is something that most companies should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always like a little hesitant to talk about selling your company because uh, it really applies to so few people uh, at any given time that it's like really not something you should be thinking about at all unless you're actively entering in negotiations to sell your company. The best thing to do, the thing I always start off, the people are like, oh, Justin, how do you like create a company that you can sell for you know, some large amount of money? And um, the answer is like, create a great independent company, right? Create yeah. a company that's do- doing really well, that people are using the product of, and you're making money, and that, you know, that puts you in the best position to negotiate kind of the best terms for selling your company. Or, But why should you sell if you reach that position? Like- no, that's kind of exactly right, right? Like, <laughs> once, you know, then you have options, right? The, the, the key to being able to drive a high price for your company is to have a lot of good options. Uh, one of which might be continuing to grow your company, right? And so that's, that's always kind of the best place to, I mean, it's true of any negotiation, right? You want to have like good, good alternative outcomes and alternative uh, options. If you're familiar with any examples, like why does one sell a company, although like the company's going really good? And- I think there's a lot of reasons that people sell their companies, right? Well, one is to de-risk yourself. You know, for most founders, the vast majority of your assets and your net worth is, is wrapped up in one company. private company stock, which you don't, can't get any liquidity for, right? So 
uh, if you want to buy something like a house or something expensive or you know just live a kind of non startup founder you know ramen profitable life then you need some capital to do it and oftentimes the only way to get that capital is to sell your company that's increasingly less true now that there's like a kind of thriving secondary market uh, to buy private company stock so maybe you're going to be in a great position to sell some of your stock and get some liquidity that way but um you know lot, lots of times people are uh, tired of the stress of running their startups and they want to get some liquidity and they want to diversify their assets and so they decide to sell okay so most people shouldn't be thinking about selling their company right like i just just you know sort of clarifying that because now we're going to move on to talking about you know when you do want to sell how you do it but if you are actually thinking about this right now for good reasons then we want to do an episode uh, to help you with it, right? That, that's sort of our goal for this uh, sure. for this episode. Yeah. So most people who are listening probably should just turn off <laughs> the podcast right now and stop listening because it's it probably doesn't apply to you. And if I, you start thinking about selling your company, you're probably going to get distracted from actually making a company that anyone would want to buy. You know what? I actually have a story about this. Um, so I, I have uh, I had a company uh, called Mixtiles. It's basically a way to order photos from your phone and hang them on the wall. And it, it was never a great company or anything. It was sort of a side project, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. I wasn't investing a lot of time with it, but it was I was sort of uh, um, I was sort of debating about it, right? And then um, there was a company that offered to buy it, um, and I thought, well, you know, sure, like I'm not really doing anything with this anyway. But what ended up happening is that at the end they didn't buy it, and it made me completely like you know like not do anything anymore with the company right like after that was over after those negotiations were over i just sort of closed the company yeah absolutely that, that can be you know selling trying to sell your company and failing can be a kiss of death for your yeah, company exactly that's exactly what happened to me like i just got up the next day and i like my head already was outside of it you're deflated but, yeah i was completely deflated about it and i just you know let it go that's common yeah that's okay. common so maybe let's start by defining like different types of acquisitions cuz at least from my experience i've seen like the um, the acqui hire, um, which is basically a company that is being bought for its team and less for a product uh, i 've also seen like it 's very common actually in Israel the technology acquisition the next type of acquisition that I know is a real like a cash flow business you know you pay multiple of the profit or whatever or, or user based like Waze was bought with 20 million users for 1 billion by Google right so that that seemed to me to be like a sort of something like that I would call like a strategic acquisition like it's sort yeah. of uh, okay so that's yeah. another type yeah. strategic and then the, the revenue based yeah. the profit based um, acquisition did, did we miss anything no I think that's right I think in tech companies there's very few actual would say uh, f- financial acquisitions where you're buying a company that you think has like really good cash flows that are you know because a lot of those companies don't want to sell to you mostly the the kind of acquisitions that people think about as like home run acquisitions are strategic acquisitions where the acquirer thinks it's you know value creative to you add their sales team to it or it's like very important for them to like kind of round out a you know, application suite or like uh, you know, offering a customer base. Sort of one common misconception I've I've uh, seen around uh, acquisitions is that, um, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, is that some people think that basically it's almost a given that somebody will acquire a company if you reach um, sort of a high enough scale or if you do well enough. And then on the other hand, though, like it seems to me that when companies buy other companies, they usually do it because they have some concrete need. Like they actually buy it. Just, just like any customer buys anything, right? They don't need it because you have scale or because you have users. I think that in some ways they're both true. I mean, in the sense of if you have enough users or customers, uh, at a certain point you will be valuable to someone, right? I, you know, if you have hundreds of millions of users, there's nothing that has hundreds of millions of users that 
yeah. it's not valuable. But at the same time, mostly I think the com- companies, big companies buy because they're trying to fill a strategic need. So the, the, these four types of acquisitions, do you think like what we're going to talk about is different for each one of them? Uh, you know, if you're look, looking for uh, the acquires that happen in Silicon Valley right now are oftentimes, you know, kind of last resort efforts for non-functioning companies in, uh, you know, product teams that are very talented, but they didn't make anything like that, any consumer traction, they're not able to raise any money, and they're just trying to find a soft landing for themselves and their investors. In the same way that fundraising is like begging, I think acquires are very much the same thing, except like even kind of, you know, harder, um, because there's really less people doing them. Um, but you know, you're basically going to the kind of trying to find an advocate in every, in all these different big companies, um, of someone who, you know, like a champion, a champion, you need an internal champion. You know, it's a, it's a buyer's market. The sellers are desperate and they really want to get something. So they, you know, soft landing because it makes them seem a lot better than like, Oh, I just started this company and failed. It, you know, seems like, Oh, I started this company and we sold it. We were acquired, you know, and now I'm working at Google for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you say it's a little bit like a sort of like a sales salesy kind of process, like basically sort of prospecting potential buyers, like finding people to talk to, sort of just running a pipeline like is is, is yeah. that sort of what it feels like? Yes, I think that's that's right. Uh, another interesting point was, and I've really seen a lot of conflicts between the entrepreneurs, the founders, and the the investors. you know it's like it's like this uh, shit hits the fan feeling. Um, <laughs> usually investors only get their money back and maybe even less. Uh, founders get more money, but it 's like four year vesting, as you said, so it 's not like real money that 's easily distributed yeah, so um, I mean, if you think about it, you know the investors have been promised the founders promised the investors this like grand vision right, and it didn 't come to fruition, not saying it 's anyone 's fault, so the investors are you know that 's the stage for it there's uh maybe they 're upset maybe they 're not, but you know many good investors it doesn 't really matter that much they expect a number like most of their startups to fail, so it 's like you know as long as you act honorably it's it 's kind of all good. The incentive of the big company is to basically push all the consideration into retention and screw the you know screw the investors right, right. Um, the incentive of the founders is probably to do that, but they probably also want to do right by their investors i mean yeah. these people believed in them. So usually for the founders, it's, you know, you're kind of trying to balance it, right? You want to do right by your team and probably yourself, especially after working hard for a couple of years or you know, maybe even longer. Um, and, but at the same time, you want to do right by your investors because they believed in you and you want to get them some return for their investment. I can imagine lots of founders being like, you know, okay, I tried to build this company, it didn't work, right? It's, go, it's going to get shut down. Yeah. I'm faced between this option of just closing it and moving on to the next thing, which is maybe what I want to do because you know, I'm a founder and, and you know, my thing is founding companies uh, versus on the other hand, okay, maybe I can try to find some sort of soft landing, but then I'll be working for four years at you know, Big Corp and, and maybe I don't really feel like that. You know, maybe what I'd rather do is just, you know, just shut it down and do something new. Yeah. If I would do that, is it frowned upon in any level? Like, like I think that might affect you know, your current investors' willingness to invest in you if you like, just refuse to try to like, sell your company at all. But you know, if that's your judgment call. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone makes their own decisions on whether to sell their company or not based on like, what they want to do with their lives. Right? I'm an investor in like, 40 or so companies. Right? And if one of the companies was failing and they were like, I'm not going to try to acquire the company because I just don't want to do it. I'd probably be like, fine. But you know, would that make me le- slightly less happy than if they had like gotten me my money back? Sure. Of course I'd like my money back. Yeah. I mean, I'd like money, my, like money. The whole point of like <laughs> investing in these companies is to make some money. Right. So like, it's not the end of the world. I want them to mostly do what they 
want to do. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they give me my money back, that's great. Here's another question I would have: like, what are my chances? Like, am I even going to succeed? Like, just statistically. Uh, and if so, like, how long does it take? I mean, statistically, you're probably not going to succeed. I don't, you know, there seems to be a lot of acquirers now, but you know, there's hundreds of or thousands of companies created every year, and most of them don't get acquired. Most of them just die. Like, like gut feeling, like of the companies that try to get acquired, like how many percent would you say actually in Silicon it? Valley, maybe twenty yeah. percent, something okay. like that. Um, if I had to guess, how long I should expect it to take if it is successful? Generally, anywhere between one and three months maybe um sometimes much quicker than that if you know i think it really depends on how badly they want to acquire you um but if you're going through this process of like desperately shopping your company around it can take a couple months you know let's you know so so let's let's just go to another question so you know what i have a question like i want to talk about valuation of startups like you know because i think i think that's sort of you know uh, so if you if you want to sell your company uh you know it often seems like these valuations are are uh Arbitrary, um, you know, for the lack of a better word. So, like, are they are they arbitrary, or is there? Yeah, valuations are absolutely arbitrary. Okay. It's a market, right? It's it's just like anything. It's a very illiquid market, but you know, effectively, it's a market of like how many what investors' interest is in your startup, and you know how much supply of investment you're off. You know, there is. You know, when we started off in uh, two thousand five with our first startup, you know, we raised money. Uh, from angels at maybe it was like a million dollar valuation actually post after post uh, post money yeah you know then we raised money for Justin TV uh, we had raised money at a three million dollar valuation for our angel round and we thought that was high and that was in two thousand seven and now you know companies coming out of Y Combinator oftentimes raise money at a eight million dollar valuation in their angel round so like that's crazy so how, ten million you know what's the valuation of the round A like. <laughs> Uh, well, oftentimes it's you know now it's not really fifty seen. or forty million dollars. Mm. You know, it, it's it's kind of valuations have crept up, and there's you know com- kind of a bunch of different reasons for that. You know, one is the inner market of people spending money on the internet is much bigger now than it was twenty years ago, and much bigger now than it was ten years ago. Um, another reason is that there's less good things for people to invest in who have money because interest rates are so low. So um, lots of non traditional kind of investors want to invest in tech companies. But the other thing I think is distribution channels have enabled companies to grow a lot quicker. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's more, that's, that's kind of, those are probably the three reasons I think valuations have crept up in the early stage. So you sold three companies, right? I sold Kiko on eBay. We sold it, we sold the company <laughs> on eBay. That was an asset sale. Uh, Twitch was sold as a, you know, pretty st- you know, strategic acquisition, I guess. Um, we sold exec too handy um, last year as well. Yeah, so that's three companies. Oh, and Social Cam was, we spun it out of Twitch, um, and my co-founder Michael ran it, and then sold. He sold that to uh, Autodesk in 2012. Yeah, you know, I'm really interested about the dynamics of, of, of selling a company. Like, usually, is it an inbound lead? Usually, what happens is that people are, you know, a big company has people whose job it is to figure out if they can work with or acquire other companies right that it's called corporate development you're talking to like kind of everyone who's remotely related it's like how could we be working together right because there's all these people whose jobs it is to like just talk to each other right and so those conversations often talk like to start at like how can we be working together and go on and move on to oh we should be working together oh maybe we should just like buy them because it's like mm-hmm. our user bases are the same or we can like make a lot of money more money if we apply our sales force to their product or you know one of many different reasons maybe someone just really likes it right like the ceo's like oh i really like this we should own it like it's not that they come out of the blue but 
usually there is some kind of a connection in the biz dev layer usually there's a connection at the biz dev side and then I mean obviously the com- someone very smart told me companies are are bought not sold right you can't like the com- the initiation of like I want to buy your company has to come from the company you can't just say like I want to sell this company to you and then they'll be like okay we'll we'll give you like talk with them. well here's the price that for that we'll pay for your company they're, they're either they want to buy it or they don't it's like a binary kind of decision at the at the front of it mm-hmm. so a founder gets like this offer what's the best practice you've like from from your experience what would you do next yeah I mean basically you want to market right you want to create a market for your company so let's say you think you're gonna get a, you think that you're talking to this company big company X you know Huli you're talking to Huli and they're like <laughs> I, I want to buy they're thinking you think they are gonna want to buy your company right and it's the so, new Acme Corp yeah <laughs> so you're you know you, what you should be doing hopefully is you've been engaged with you know kind of business development corporate conversations with lots of other potential partners mm-hmm. And you go to them and you're like, as soon as you get a term sheet, you're like, hey, you know, we got, we might be, someone wants to acquire a company and we're going to, you know, we're seriously considering it. Um, however, we really like you better. You know, we think you're more value. We'd rather work for, you know, big company, you know, Acme Corp that yeah. rather than Huli, we think we're much more like you have a better vision. You know, it's much more strategically aligned. Your our customer bases are much more similar, uh, but we're going to sell this other these other people because we have we have a really great offer to them from them. And, then, and you would only do that after you, after a term sheet, sort of. Uh, yeah, because that's when you have le- that's when you have leverage, right? But aren't term sheet usually like don't, don't they usually come with like this non shop clause? That well, you haven't signed it. You? you haven't signed it yet. Mm. Uh, you, but usually they explode in like a very short amount of time, <laughs> yeah. explicitly, so that you can't shop them around. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's really good to have all these other people warmed up, so you can just call them on the phone and be like, "Hey, you know, now's your time." And then uh, hopefully you get some offers, and then you create a market. You go back to the other people. You're like, "Oh, I really like you, but unfortunately, like I just you know have to do much by fiduciary responsibility to take the best best offer." So you're saying like basically once you get a term sheet, shop it around, and if you did your job well, then you already have a bunch of existing relationships that make the shopping around easier. Yeah, it's kind of like raising a venture round, right? So you know it's kind of a it's, like it's a said, risky it can, thing it's to, risky to, it can always lead to nothing right and often does in fact Paul Graham always had said to us you know deals fall through and and that's what they do they they fall through that brings me to something that I wanted to ask you so so over the course of sort of my work um, I think I've gotten like three or four offers for you know various like acquisitions or mergers and and all of them fell through And it was for different reasons, like you know some of them just turned out to be bad offers. Uh, others were you know just offers that were advanced by people who weren't decision makers, and sort of when it actually reached the decision maker, the decision maker was like, "Nope, you know, I don't want to do that." And um, you know, I read your blog post on founders uh, selling their companies, and there was a term there that you used that I liked, which was something like bullshit offers. Uh, I sort of identified with that, like that felt you know like something that I'd been through. So Absolutely. Like, what is a bullshit offer? Well, okay, so there's people, corp dev people in all these places, all these companies, you know, at Huli, right, who are employed just to go around and, like, see if they want to buy companies, right? It costs them nothing to get an option, right? Saying the words, I want to buy your company, it's free, right? Like, once they sign a term sheet, they have an obligation to, like, actually try to move forward with closing. However, you know, there's all many different reasons why they, they can get out, how they can get out of that. Maybe, like, some of the things you represent are factually incorrect or, like, not exactly right, right? Um... Maybe it runs out it expires uh, like there's just many different ways that they they can not buy your company even after the term sheet side and so like the best thing to do is to like try to get them to actually put a term sheet which is you know is a step a commitment step before you know before you really commit a lot of effort 
Right. So you're saying, so the thing to do is to push for a term sheet, and, and until yeah, the term like, sheet arrives, you basically treat it as not serious. Absolutely. So, first of all, I should try to, to like postpone everything to the term sheet. Like, try to get the term sheet, and only then, you know, get my company's employees, meet the, the acquirer's employees, you know, and to have this due diligence. Try to, to act as normal until I get a real term sheet signed, Right. A way to hedge that, as uh, that you mentioned, was to actually define in the term sheet really um, like a period of like 60 days, 30, 60 days until uh, closing occurs. You want to apply pressure on the acquirer. Exactly. The long, you want to you negotiate for a shorting, shorter closing period. And that's true of anything, acquire, like asset sale, whatever. Just you want a shorter closing period because, you know, that's, that's the time of attrition for you. Right, like imagine if it's like a ninety-day or sixty or seventy-five-day closing period, right? Like horrible. That's two and a half months, right? At the end of that two and a half months, if they're like, "Oh, actually, the price is like sixty percent," and you just did all this work, you might just say, "All right, fine, fuck it, sure." This happened to me, like you know, for, for this for this mixed style sale, like basically the 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 negotiation started off with you know like some X, and then with time it just got yeah, it just got you, there was some attrition on it, and and that's exactly what happened to me. At some point I was like, oh, whatever, fuck it, you know, because 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 in my head I was already not going to do anything else with this anyways. Exactly. So 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 I just agreed to to they murdered you. They did, and and you know, and and like. I really take you know the technique that you mentioned is you know just to push for a term sheet. That's really what I should have done in this case, uh, and I didn't. Um, so, so so this is a, sort of a, a take away lesson for me. The cards come on the table in the term sheet level, right? And you can know if it's something that you want to do or you want to walk away from or is close, and you might be able to get to something that you want to do or you it's not. Yeah, you're right. I mean, actually, like in those cases, um, like the, the term sheet. Actually, didn't take that long to come. I guess, like, I just wanted to sort of share like my lesson from from these experiences, which was that just generally, uh, like, people will hear. You know, I think you mentioned something like that. Like, people will hear somebody wants to buy your company, and they're sort of their eyes will light up, and they'll be like, "Hey, somebody wants to buy my company, right?" Right. But there's a big sort of distance between somebody wants to buy your company to so, a it actually being a good deal, and then b that actual deal actually closing. Exactly. Right. That's absolutely right. Uh, all right, so so I think I, we're, we're like you know we're gonna close up. Uh, I, I guess uh, one thing we like to do just before we close up is maybe read a question from our Facebook group and and sort of. Sure. Uh, what about not doing the next question from the group? But <laughs> uh, like you're a partner in uh, YC, right? And um, from what we know about YC, y, y Combinator is that like one of the um, the services that you provide to startup founders is basically something called office hours. That's right. What, what's office hours in Y Combinator? And, and yeah, I'll, I, let me explain it a little bit. So, office hours are you know meetings effectively with startups, and uh, we have you know n- over nine hundred startups that are part of Y Combinator, and we do office hours with uh, many of them, including ones that have already gra- you know graduated from the program and are kind of running their companies. And uh, generally, with office hours, our goal is to help them with a specific problem. So they usually come with a question like, "Oh, how do I?" Do this, you know, my PR launch for my new product uh, version, right? Or how do I structure my company as I'm hiring more people into engineering? So, uh, if we were doing office hours with you guys, I would ask you, like, what's your, you know, what's the problem that's kind of preventing? What, what do you want to talk to me about? So let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it, it let's live. Do it. Let's do it. Sure. First, because we we've just met, you know, tell me about where your company's at and um, you know where you are in the life cycle of your company. Okay, great. So so where we are is um, we're building the first version of the product. But this is after we ran a no-code sort of MVP, like we just using Facebook Messenger just to test the basic idea of 
if people in one neighborhood want to communicate around topics? And the answer was, to, to some degree, yes. Uh, what we saw is, um, we saw a lot of engagement initially for a few weeks, and then it sort of petered out. But we saw enough of um, sort of the, the value that we were looking for. So we saw a lot of meetings, like physical meetings in the real world, like people buying groceries for each other, like just a, a lot of signals that were interesting to us. And uh, it was enough to get us to, to make us move to the next phase of actually building a product. So that's what we're doing right now. So, you know, I saw your product and, and I guess my biggest question would be like, why do you think that your product that you're building is going to like prevent that, have that retention that your Facebook group didn't? Uh, so there's, there's at least three or four uh, separate reasons that might apply. Um, the first is that the, the, the just network effect, just like the, the mass of people in the MVP was very low. Another important reason was that um, a lot of people ended up muting uh, notifications for their uh, for their groups okay. because it was just large chat rooms, people posting all the time. Like you get like you know, like you know, fifty, a hundred, or like fifty notifications a day. You could get it was Facebook so, Messenger, not Facebook right. groups. Okay, so what I would do, I, you know, I have no on an individual level, I like have never have any idea whether a something social product is going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the example I always usually, usually give is uh, my friend Ben, like maybe five years ago, showed me the prototype of his bookmarking app, and. I thought, huh, this is never going to work. I don't think anyone will use it. Turns out it was Ben from Pinterest. And so, you know, he's <laughs> he, like, he had the, the last laugh, I think. Um, what I would do is, you know, obviously you want to try to build something and get it into people's hands as quickly as possible. I would, you know, you only need one neighborhood to work and you can to measure the retention and really get a gauge of like whether it's working. So I would, you know, try to take as many technical hacks as possible to just get one neighborhood that works, you know, in like here where yeah. you live maybe and try to get people to use it, right? And then use that as a basis to like launch it to other places. Like one of the things we're asking ourselves is how different is Israel from other places? Like, Well, I would do it here because you live here. And I actually think that most people, most places in the world are like more similar than they are different. Like yeah, they I have like go to jobs, they live in an apartment, they like care about eating food, you know, like <laughs> well, they care about you know, having a good job and like their family and like they probably ride public transportation or drive a car. Like most people who live in like the first, first world or like developed nations, like have a pretty similar life. I think that, that, you know, if it works here, if it's on fire here, there's, you know, it's likely that those things will work eventually in other places, you know? So, so like our, our theory is that actually not a lot of people want to talk to their neighbors. Like that's what we think. Like we don't think talking to your neighbors is that interesting. Yeah. What we do think is that a lot of people want to, you know, get better at doing X. Like they want to be better vegans. They want to know where to buy stuff. Well, if, if you want to be a better vegan, why do you need to like, talked locally right like why would you go to like right. slash r slash vegan so lots of reasons like for like stories from the actual like mvp like uh, a lot of your life is local like the, like where you buy places you know that's like strongly constrained by uh, by your neighborhood like loaning and exchanging like uh, equipment like physical equipment and ingredients like we've seen that happen uh like so let's say the mom's group like you know like where to take your kids which kindergarten is good like we think not a lot of people want to actually talk to their neighbors but a lot of people want to do things which uh get enhanced by local context like significantly okay yeah okay. i mean i can believe it i don't know okay. you All should right. you gotta test it um okay great like uh I, I guess i guess that's it like let's wrap up yep justin thanks for coming well thanks for having me don't know if I mentioned it but like it was it was extremely spontaneous right it, w- it was really spontaneous yeah thanks for taking the time to come over yeah absolutely um, much appreciated yeah and it was really interesting like, like I learned a lot of things um, and thanks for for you know helping us with our startup great I uh, wish you guys the best of luck and I've had a great time in Israel and uh, my last plug is that Israeli companies should 
come and apply to YC. We've funded a lot of them and um, we hope to fund a lot more. Great. So we'll include a link for the YC application uh, in our email. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, excellent. When does it uh, open? Like August? September? Uh, September, I think. September. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.